Welcome to Truth for Transformation with Timothy Brown. Timothy is the lead pastor of Arden First Baptist Church in Arden, North Carolina. Our mission is to lead ordinary people into extraordinary life in Christ. We pray that today's message inspires you to live an extraordinary life in Jesus Christ. Check out our website for more inspiring resources, ardenfbc.com. Now, here's today's message from Pastor Timothy Brown. Good morning, church. How is everybody today? Good. We're going to welcome you. Welcome to those watching online. If you are visiting, we just want to say welcome home. I would love to have the opportunity to get to meet you after the service. I'm going to be, we have a guest reception that's right behind stage. We'd love to have the chance to get to know you. And also we have a special gift for you. We're going to be in Revelation 2, so go ahead and turn there. As you turn there, let's prepare our hearts for the word. Father, as we read your word, we pray that you would speak to our hearts. And uh, we just want to understand what the Spirit has to say to the churches, and specifically to our church here at Arden First. So Lord, bless each person here today and those watching online, and we just ask and pray that you would speak to our hearts. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Have you ever been in a difficult spot? where you saw there was no way out. I know we've all been there different times where maybe you were in a job situation and you wanted a way out and you just couldn't find a way out. Some of you are in struggling relationships, maybe a marriage that uh, seems to be going downhill. Some of you are in situations with your health. And we all find situations where there seems to be no way out. And I want to tell you a true story. Uh, Mark Batterson tells about this story of a man named Polycarp. Some of you may have never heard of him. But Polycarp was the pastor of the church at Smyrna. And he, this is about half a decade or excuse me, half a century after John wrote this to the church at Smyrna. And uh, Polycarp was on the Romans most wanted list. You know, you've seen the most wanted. And it wasn't because of any crime he had done. It was because... He did not bow the knee to Caesar. And what would happen in that day, the, the emperor at that time commanded everyone to worship him as God. And if you did not burn incense to him or declare your loyalty to the emperor, many Christians were put to death. So Rome sent out bounty hunters to find Polycarp. And when they found Polycarp, he treated them so differently they didn't expect. He invited them in for a meal. He fed them. And he had just one request. He said, if you will grant me the pleasure to have one hour of prayer, then I'll go with you back to Rome to the Colosseum. Polycarp knew what awaited him in the Colosseum. So they said, sure, we'll let you pray for an hour. And one hour turned into two hours. And they led Polycarp into Rome. And in the Colosseum, the emperor declared to Polycarp, he's like, you're an old man. Please just acknowledge your loyalty to Caesar. And Polycarp said these words. He said, for 80 and six years, I have served the king, my savior. I will not recant on him now. And the emperor decided that he was going to unleash lions in the Colosseum in front of the thousands and thousands of cheering fans that wanted Polycarp dead because they were not going along with the Roman agenda of the emperor as God. So Polycarp said, send him, let loose the lions. He was ready to meet his lord. And the, the, the executioner at that time basically is like, well, if you don't want the lions, we're going to burn you. So what they did is they decided they were going to nail his, his hands to the wooden stake and they surrounded him with flammable material 
And he said, you don't need to nail me. I'm ready. So they lit it on fire. And according to eyewitnesses that were there in that Colosseum, they actually have about this story about his martyrdom, uh, not too many years after this, the story, they said he would not be burned up. It was almost like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. They said he just was not be consumed. And they said instead of burning flesh in the Colosseum, it smelled like baked bread. It just, the aroma filled the room. So the executioner was really upset. So he grabbed a dagger and stabbed Polycarp and he bled out and he died. And his testimony rang out to all those people that he would not bow the knee to Caesar because he only would bow before Christ. And what's interesting, as we talk about the church at Smyrna, Polycarp probably heard these words of John. We're going to read in Revelation 2.10. Be faithful even unto death. Because Polycarp was mentored by John the Apostle himself. And even though he wasn't the pastor at the time, most likely that John wrote this, John mentored him and he gave him the words that Christ had given him to be faithful unto death. So the word Smyrna literally means myrrh. And we're going to talk about what myrrh represents in the Bible. But we do know that myrrh was used to anoint dead bodies. We do know that myrrh has a significant place in Scripture. So what we're going to see is a church that is being crushed under persecution. So I've entitled this message, How to Stay Faithful to Jesus Even When Your World's Falling Apart. So let's read in Revelation 2. And again, welcome to everyone and those watching online. Revelation 2, we're going to be reading verses 8 through 11. It says, And to the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These things says the first and the last, Who was dead and came to life. I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. And I know the blasphemy of those who say they're Jews, but not, but are synagogue of Satan. Do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation ten days. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. So today I want to give you four actions of the overcomer. Four things to do that if you feel like you're being pressured, if you feel like you're in a knowing situation, And even worse, if you feel like your life is in danger, just like this church at Smyrna felt, these are four actions of the overcomer. The first action is this. Remember to stay. Remember that you are following the one who defeated death and made the way for life. So when we read verse 8, it says, To the angel in the church at Smyrna write, These things, says the first and the last, who was dead and who came to life. So we see that Jesus is the first and he's the last. We see that Jesus is the creator of all things. John, who penned this book, Revelation, in the Gospel of John, writes this. He says in John 1, 3, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In other words, Jesus is eternal and divine. He's God the Son. He's the eternal son of God. And before he made his debut on earth, taking on a human body and being called Jesus, he preexisted as the eternal son. In verse 10 of John 1, he says he was in the world talking about Jesus 
And the world was made through him and the world received him not. So the other words, the creator was rejected by the creation. Now think about that. If you made the world, you're the creator, you step into creation and creation as a whole rejected you. That's what happened to Jesus by many on his first arrival. And the author of Hebrews says it like this in Hebrews chapter 1 verse 2. It says, but in these last days... He has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he made the universe. So I want you to think about that. Jesus is the first. He's the creator. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, he's the only person ever born that was older than his parents because he lived forever in eternity as the son of God. But he's not only the creator, it says he's the first and he's the last. He's the one that's going to take you from start to finish. He's the sustainer. If you read on in the, ver- the book of Hebrews, it says the sun is the radiance of God's glory. So think about that. He's the radiance of God's glory. In other words, whatever you can know about the Father, Jesus shows you. He's the sun. He's the reflection. He's the exact image of the invisible God. And it says he sustains all things by his powerful word. In other words, he is not just the creator, but he's the sustainer. And you're like, well, what does that have to do with me? If he only created you but didn't sustain you, many of you would not be alive today. Because Satan's goal is to still kill and destroy. Jesus' mission is to give you life and it more abundantly. So here's the idea. He's holding your life together. If it wasn't for Jesus being the first and the last, being the creator and the sustainer, your world will be falling apart right now. And for those of you who feel like your world's falling apart, let me give you what Paul says to the church in Colossians 1.17. He existed before all things and he holds all creation together. Aren't you glad that you serve the one who's there? So remember that you're following Jesus. He defeated death. He defeated the grave and he's helping hold it all together for you today. Amen. And Jesus reveals himself as the one that was dead And came back to life again. And you're like, we know that. That's gospel 101. But something you need to know about Smyrna is that when you study Smyrna's history, it actually died around 600 B.C. In ancient times, there were often wars and people would pillage cities. And Smyrna basically was decimated around 600 B.C. But something miraculously happened. In the year around 290 B.C., Smyrna was restored. So Jesus is giving something they could relate to. He's like, listen, your city was in ruins for 310 years. It got restored. It came back to life. I'm the one who died and I'm the one who gives life. So here's something you can relate to. You don't have to fear death. You don't have to fear dying because you're following in the footsteps of the one who holds life and death in his hands. We mentioned a few weeks ago, he has the keys of life and death. He has the keys of of all that you can think about in life. He is the ruler of it all. So in this this day and time, many of us, if you're over the age of 40, we start to hit a reality. What happens over the age of 40? Your body no longer looks like it did when it did 20, right? And we start to put on weight. We start to get wrinkles. We start to have more doctor's appointments. And we get weird tests, I hear. I haven't got it yet, but when you're 50, you have to have certain tests that you take colonoscopies and all this weird stuff going on, right? And it it gets weird. So your 20-year-old, you don't have to worry about right now. But here's the reality. 
we're not in a state of just simple decay. That's temporarily, okay? Jesus is making us look forward to the future. Don't think about just a hundred years here. Think about forever over there with him. He is preparing a place for you as we speak. And one day when you get to see him face to face, after the rapture, after the resurrection, all this that takes place, he has a glorified body waiting for you. And the beautiful thing about your glorified body, are you ready for it? You don't get, you don't gain too much weight. You don't get wrinkly. You don't get old. You don't lose energy. He has a perfect version of you that lasts forever. So, if you're over 40, don't despair. He's the first and the last. He's got a plan. And everyone over 40 said, Amen. Alright. Second truth of the overcomer. Like, if your world is being pressed in, if you feel like you're being persecuted because of your faith, here's the second truth. You need to learn to see the world through God's eyes. Learn to see the world through God's eyes. How many of you have ever heard of Black Bart? Anybody ever heard of Black Bart? If you've ever seen the movie, The Christmas Story, it talks about Black Bart. Who is Black Bart? Black Bart was a famous stagecoach robber. He pillaged Western Union or Western Fargo stagecoaches. And for many years, he robbed different ones. He went all the way from New York to San Francisco robbing these stagecoaches. And what's interesting about Black Bart is that no one ever saw his face. And because he had a hood. And you know what? What will happen with him is he was able to rob these stagecoaches without even using a gun. You know why? Because people feared him. People feared him. If you look back in verse 9, Jesus says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. I know your poverty. It's so easy to enter into a time of fear. But when you know that you don't have to fear because God knows, doesn't that set you free? Doesn't that bring encouragement? I know your works. I know what you've been through. It reminds me of the story. Many of us have sang this song so many times. It is well with my soul. How many of you have ever sang that song? If you've been in church any length of time or a funeral, whatever, we sing that song. But that song was written by Horatio Spafford. And Horatio Spafford was this wealthy businessman in Chicago. And what happened when the great Chicago fires broke out, he lost a lot of his real estate holdings. And his wealth went way down. So he decided to take a trip to Europe. And he was going to help um, a pastor, an evangelist there. And he was going to send his wife and daughters on ahead via boat. And he said, I'm going to finish a few business dealings. Go on ahead. I'll meet you there. And we're going to help with this crusade in Europe. And what happened on the way, tragedy struck. His wife sent him back a message, saved alone. And what had happened is his daughters had drowned at sea due to an unfortunate accident. And Horatio was just heartbroken And he went to go get his wife, try to put the pieces back together again. And as they went on boat back to the spot where his daughters drowned at sea, he wrote these words. And these are the words we sing. These are the words that we think about. But he wrote these words at the exact spot where they perished. He said, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot that has taught me to say, it is well. It is well with my soul. Now, how could he write such words? 
How could he write such words? When we look at Revelation, Jesus' message to the church is, I know your works. Jesus knows. Everything that you've done in his name, he knows. And he says, I know your tribulation. Every trial you've been through. Think about Horatio Spafford. His daughter's dying. That's the worst thing. The real estate holdings meant nothing in comparison to his daughter's death. But he said, Jesus says, I know your tribulation. Did you know that it's so intriguing? Sometimes we don't think that anyone sees the tears that we cry. Did you know there's a verse in the Psalms where the psalmist says it like this? He says, you keep track of all of my sorrows. You have collected all my tears in your bottle. You have recorded each one in your book. So the next night that you're weeping and you're crying and you feel like nobody understands. The next time you feel like no one feels your pain. I want you to know that Jesus knows. He collects every tear in his bottle. And one day, the Bible says he's going to wipe away every tear from your eye. You're going to go to the place of paradise where there's no more weeping, no more tears. He says, I know your works. I know your tribulation. And he says, I know your poverty. What's interesting, the church at Smyrna, many of the believers were were financially poor. And the reason why, because they did not swear allegiance to Rome, many of them not only lost their jobs, but many of them lost their lives. So you can imagine a Christian businessman being martyred for his faith. What it is his wife and kids have to do to provide. They, they were destitute. They were in poverty. But from God's perspective, he said, listen, you may be temporarily poor, but you're eternally rich. You may not have a lot of finances right now, but I want to remind you that you're in Christ, that you actually have it all. James 2 verse 5 says it like this. He says, listen, my beloved brethren, has not God chosen the poor of this world to be rich in faith and heirs of the kingdom which he promised to those who love him? And in other words, for these first century believers that were poor, he says, listen, you're actually rich. You're rich and you don't even realize it. And maybe that's why the Apostle Paul gives this prayer to the church at Ephesus, to the church that's struggling, the church that, why am I going through suffering, what's going on? He says, I pray that the eyes of your understanding may be enlightened. In other words, may the light come on inside, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and that you may know what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So I want you to look at your listening guide. And I just list a few things. This, there's many more things that happen. But when a person becomes born again, something happens instantly. I mean, it just blows your mind what happens. You are adopted into God's very own family. Think about that. You were a creation and now you're adopted as a child. You have an inheritance in heaven. You may never get riches on this earth. You may never receive earthly inheritance. But you have one waiting in heaven. You are now in Christ. So because you're in Christ, whatever he went through, like he went through defeat and death, think about dying on the cross. From the world's perspective, that seemed like defeat, but it wasn't defeat. It was victory, right? It may seem like you're going through defeat, but you're not really going through defeat. God's going to raise you up. He's going to help you. So Jesus was not defeated. He won the victory on the cross. Amen. And you have citizenship in heaven. You may not realize this, but you have dual citizenship. Not only are you citizens of America, for those of you born here, but you have citizenship in heaven. 
dual citizenship. You are now right with God. Isn't it good to know that all of your sins are taken away? Like you are pure. You are holy in God's sight. You're set apart for God. You have a calling on your life. God now lives inside of you through the person of the Holy Spirit. As soon as you accept Christ, the person of the Holy Spirit moves on the inside. He lives within you. You have a hope for the future. You have an eternal life that begins the moment you receive Christ. Your sins, as I mentioned, have been taken away. Not only that, but when you mess up, guess who your defense attorney is? Jesus is your defense attorney. He's your advocate before the Father. And he's never lost a courtroom case. You have it now at least one spiritual gift to serve the church. You are spiritually gifted. And Jesus calls you to be his very own ambassador. What's phenomenal about that is for ambassadors in the country of America, when you go to another country, you're representing America. So the idea is we're ambassadors for another country, a heavenly one. And we represent Jesus to people on this earth, saying that you need to follow him. You need to serve him. Corey Ten Boom says it like this. If you look at the world, you will be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed. But if you look at God, you'll be at rest. Amen. So then Jesus says this interesting thing. He says, I know those who say they're Jews, but are not, but are synagogue of Satan. Like, what does that mean? In that day and time in Smyrna, some of the Jews who weren't Christ followers, they basically, they basically compromised. Many of them would say, well, we can't worship Caesar, but we can burn incense as a way to respect him, show honor to him. And many of the Christians are like, we're not going to do that. We're not going to bow the knee to Caesar. So what would happen is some of their own countrymen ratted them out to Rome, and that's where persecution happened in Smyrna. So in other words, they were Jews physically, but spiritually they were pagans. And I, I get this question asked, Timothy, do all Jews go to heaven? I mean, I, I don't know if you ever thought about that, but they're the chosen ones. Do they go to heaven? And the answer is everyone, Jew or Gentile, has to accept Christ to get to heaven. Just because you're born a Jew, it gives you a head start, but it doesn't mean that you're going to go to heaven. We all have to be born again, no matter what. So that's a FAQ that pastors get. What about the Jews? Well, we're going to see in Revelation... That during the tribulation, there will be a great Jewish revival where many Jews do get saved, but they still have to accept Christ to be with him. So I want to encourage you that in life, things are going to hit you, but just be faithful. Trust God is going to come through. And that brings us to the third truth. How do we overcome under pressure? How do we be faithful? Number three, replace fear with faithfulness, knowing that God has a better plan in mind. In verse 10, Jesus goes on to tell the church in Smyrna, do not fear any of those things which you're about to suffer. Indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and you will have tribulation 10 days. Be faithful unto death and I will give you the crown of life. Notice the Bible says, do not fear. Now, some people have said it says, do not fear 365 times. I've never found that many times, but it says it a lot. It says, do not fear, do not fear. And the reason why the Bible tells us not to fear is because we have a tendency to be fearful. And especially when you're facing death, like this church in Smyrna. But Jesus says, don't fear what you're about to face. In other words, you don't have to fear because I'm in control. You don't have to fear because I'm working behind the scenes You don't have to fear 
because I'm the only one you're to fear. And if you fear God, you don't have to fear anyone or anything else. Now, back to myrrh. I mentioned in the beginning there's significance with myrrh. And I think we have a picture of myrrh. Let's go and throw that on the screen if we can get that. Myrrh is something that in order for its aroma to be released, it has to be crushed. It has to be pressed down and crushed and ground up. And here's the significance of the church at Smyrna. Its name means myrrh. And they were going through a crushing, so to speak. They were going through a persecution. And here's the idea. For the follower of Jesus Christ, when you are broken because you're following him, when you're persecuted because you're a believer, it should release the fragrance of Christ into the world. It should release something special that people say, man, just like Polycarp, there's something different about this person. He has peace even in the face of death. Did you know that Christians are like tea bags? All of us are true colors and flavors come out when we're put in hot water. Did you know that? All of us are like tea bags. And the Bible tells us in John 16:33, these are words in red. Jesus said, I've told you these things. That in me you're going to have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. We live in a world of prosperity where we don't want trouble. Or we think if we follow Jesus, there's not going to be trouble. But Jesus tells us, don't be surprised when trouble happens. I don't want to be the bearer of bad news, but I want to be the bearer of reality. That in this world you will have trouble. But just as Jesus overcame, you too are overcomers. You will overcome. Paul says it pretty bluntly in 2 Timothy. He's talking about the last days. He says in 2 Timothy, in fact, everyone, does that mean somebody, a few Christians? It says everyone who wants to live godly will be persecuted. Notice it says everyone, so no one's exempt. So here's the good news. Back to myrrh. Just like myrrh is crushed to release its fragrance and its beauty and its splendor, Jesus was crushed so that you could be made whole. Jesus was wounded so that you could be healed. I want to encourage you, just like myrrh is crushed, there's a purpose in your pain. God can take your ashes and make beauty out of it. God can take your pain and bring purpose out of it. God can take your misery and turn it into your ministry. You don't know what you're going through right now. The crushing, the, the myrrhs being crushed. But later on, it's going to reveal this fragrance that's going to draw people to Christ. Later on, it's going to reveal something that you're like, I don't understand why I went through that. But now I understand why. There's so many people that have struggled with alcohol and gotten victory. And now they're helping other people get out of addiction to alcohol. There's so many people that have had depression issues and they battled through this. And guess what? They have sympathy and empathy for those struggling with depression. Let God take your pain and turn it into your purpose. Let him do that because this is the example of myrrh. It's crushed so that something beautiful can emerge. Notice in verse 10, it says, The devil is about to throw some of you into prison. And you're like, I thought the devil can only be in one place at one time. How is he throwing people into prison? And if you look at what happened, it was actually Rome who did it. It was the government, right? And what we can see is any time groups of people, whether political or government or whatever it may be, any groups of people that oppose the gospel, 
and go against the purposes of Christ, guess who's behind the scenes motivating it? It's Satan, right? It's not literally Satan himself locking people up. It's his, his fallen spirits influencing people without sometimes even knowing it. And that's why the Bible tells us to pray for elected officials. Because we want them to be influenced by the Holy Spirit, right? Not the spirit of this world. He says, the devil's going to throw you into prison. Notice it says you'll have tribulation ten days. What does ten days mean? We don't know exactly what Jesus is referring to. We do know it's a short period of time that's going to be very intense. But some scholars, much more intelligent than I, have looked at history and they've counted from the time of Nero in AD 64 to the time of Diocletian in AD 312. Guess how many edicts were about persecuting the Christian? They came up with 10 different edicts. So that could be, could have been prophetic, we're not sure. But then he says, if you will be faithful unto death, I will give you the crown of life. So I want you to think about the crown of life. This is the victor's crown. In the Greek games, when they had the Olympics and such, the Greco-Roman games, whoever would compete and win, they often received a garland, like a crown that was made of things that would perish, temporary things like laurel and, and things like that. And what Jesus tells the church, if you're faithful even under pressure, I'm going to give you a crown of life. And so sometimes people have said this is the martyr's crown. I think it includes that. But James 1.12, if you're taking notes, it says whoever endures trials, whoever overcomes these adversities will receive the crown of life. So the crown of life is the victor's crown. That if you persevere even under persecution, God will reward you. So you can take heart in that. And finally, when you are persecuted, when you are under pressure, there's a fourth action of the overcomer. And it's this, overcome every fear with the promise of a better and lasting life beyond this present short life. In verse 11, it closes out, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Remember that the Spirit is speaking to the churches, plural. So while this is written to Smyrna, it has applications to us today, to the churches. Not just to the seven churches, but to the churches of all time. Any church that's going through persecution, the Holy Spirit says, if you have ears to hear, he who overcomes. And it brings up the question, who is the overcomer? If you guys remember from last week, John answers that in 1 John 5, 5. Whoever is born of God overcomes the world. In other words, any born again believer is the overcomer. And the promise is this, you will not be hurt by the second death. So it brings up the question, what in the world is the second death? We're going to throw up a scripture from later in Revelation, Revelation 20, verse 10. This will be on the screen here. It says, the devil who deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and false prophet are. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. The sea gave up the dead who were in it, and death and Hades were delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one according to his works. Then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So let me, let me summarize it into this really simple phrase. If you are born once, you will die twice. But if you are born twice, you only die once. And you're like, 
explain what you're talking about, okay? If you're born once, in other words, you just have a, a natural birth, you're born into this world, that's your birth date. If you reject Christ and you're not born again, you'll experience a second death. And this second death is eternal death. It's, it's, it's away from the loving presence of God. And you're like, that's scary, I know. That's why we preach the gospels that you got to be born again. The good news, if you do receive God's gift of salvation, if you're born twice, first birth is natural birth, second birth is a spiritual birth, you will only die once. In other words, you'll have a natural death, but that's it. So I, I encourage all of you to make sure you've been born twice. In other words, you have received Jesus, you know it, you've truly been born again, it's not by works, it's by faith alone, in Christ alone, through his amazing grace alone. But you have to make sure, have I really been saved? Because as a whole, sometimes it's easy for churches to preach easy believism. That if you just believe this, if you just do this, and it's like salvation is placing your whole faith into Jesus. And because you place your whole faith, your whole life changes. If your whole life hasn't changed, you've got to check back and ask, was I ever really born again? Because if you're born again, you begin to resemble the spiritual nature of what it means to follow Jesus. Your life is different. Amen. So let's review. We've talked about four big truths on how to overcome. Let's throw the first one up here. Remember that you're following the one who defeated death and made a way for life. So I don't have to fear death because Jesus is the creator. He's the sustainer. Number two Learn to see the world through God's eyes. It reminds me of the old song, let, let the weak say I am strong. Let the poor say I am rich. In other words, it's not the way the world sees you that matters. It's the way your father sees you. You may be infamous in the world's eyes, but you're famous in your father's eyes. Number three, replace fear with faithfulness because God has a better plan. And finally, we overcome every fear with this promise of a better and lasting life beyond this short lifetime. So to summarize this into one idea, as I jokingly say each week, if you've got revelation overload right now, this, this zoom in right now, check back in. Here's the one big idea. Be faithful instead of fearful as you look forward to a far better and lasting life. So I want to give you three action steps of how to apply this. Some of you are like, I'm not being persecuted, I'm not, I'm not in any trouble, but I want to give you three applications that apply to your life today and in the future. Number one is don't despair when your world's falling apart, because Jesus is the one who's holding your heart. As I mentioned at the beginning of the sermon, he's sustaining you. He didn't just create you, but he's sustaining you. He's holding your heart. He's holding the world together in his nail-pierced hands. Second application is learn to see the world from God's perspective. You may not realize it, but you're actually doing better than you think you are if you're in Christ. You may think that your world's falling apart, but you're doing better than you think you are because you're in Christ. And finally, replace fear with faith, and this is going to lead to faithfulness. Suffering is just part of your journey, so don't be surprised if you get persecuted. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. So I would encourage you to think about that. A little preview for next week, we're going to talk about the compromising church, and I've entitled the message, Sleeping with Satan, how to move from convict, from compromise to conviction. So bring, it's going to be a fiery message next week, so bring a friend, let us pray. Father, we thank you for the church at Smyrna.
And I just pray that we will take this image of myrrh being crushed so that the aroma can be released. Only after brokenness do we smell and see the beauty of myrrh. So, Father, I want to pray for any Christian that's here today or those listening online. We want to mention the persecuted church, brothers and sisters, family members in the body of Christ that are that are being martyred as we speak daily around the world. We pray for the persecuted church, God, that you would help them to be faithful even unto death. And God, here in America, the persecution is seldom like that. It's very rare to see that, but we do see persecution. We do see people mocking the name of Jesus and those who follow him. And I pray that we wouldn't compromise our convictions to be friends with the world. Help us to love the world, but help us realize the world's not going to love us. We'll often be persecuted to help us. And Father, where we've compromised and not been strong in you because of fear of persecution, forgive us. We repent. As we continue to pray, I just want to ask no one looking around. Is there anyone here that's only been born once? You've never been born twice. And when I said that if you're born once, you'll die twice, that kind of scared you. We want to awaken you to the truth that Jesus offers you eternal life. It's only found in him. I can't give it to you. Only he can. I can just tell you how to get it. And it's by placing your faith in Christ alone. And as I mentioned, if you really place your faith in Christ, you're going to experience a new birth that will change your life. You're not going to be satisfied living the old life, but you will have a complete 180. Is there anyone that would say, Timothy, today I need to be born twice. I need to be born again. Just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. If you're online, please message us. Anyone at all. If that's you, I see that hand. Anyone else? Timothy, I need, I need to accept Christ. Thank you. I see that hand. Right where you're sitting, I want you to say this prayer. Just in your heart. Say, dear Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you rose the third day in victory. And Jesus, right now, I want to confess that I'm a sinner and I need you to take away my sin. I I do turn from my sin and I turn to you. And right now, Jesus, I invite you into my life to be my Lord, to be my Savior. And from this day forward, I choose to follow you. No one looking around. How many of you prayed that prayer? Anyone pray that prayer? Thank you. I see that hand. Thank you. Anyone else pray that prayer? Father, we thank you that there are angels rejoicing in the presence of God when someone is born again. We rejoice. And Father, help us to be faithful even under pressure. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen.